1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. At the start of a conversation which I think will be a very significant one, uh, you might be familiar with the words of Jesus when he spoke about the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and paying no attention to the plank in your own eye. And you could read about Jesus and his discussion about that in Matthew chapter 7. Of course, it's impossible to even get a plank of wood in your own eye. But in that level of overstatement or exaggeration that Jesus so cleverly and amazingly used, the point is made that we should carefully examine our own lives before accusing others in their behavior or their shortcomings. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and they will see clearly to remove the speck Then, uh, from your brother's eye. Uh, Let's see if we can get our hearts and minds around what is one of the biggest criticisms that people have of Christians today. We're going to be talking through this question of hypocrisy. It has the idea of looking good on the outside, but not backing that up with real character on the inside. What we may discover in the conversation ahead is that the accusation of hypocrisy may in fact affirm that there is a moral standard that's given by God that we all fall short of. Uh, It's going to be a great conversation and I hope you can join in. You can feel free to be a part of this conversation. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of a criticism saying, you hypocrite. Uh, Perhaps you've recognised that there are people who are within the Christian church who do seem to have some sort of a double standard. And is that normal? Well, you can be part of our conversation today. We'll open our talkback lines very shortly on 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Our very special guest as we talk through some of these issues today, Dr. John Warlow is back with us. He's a highly sought-after adult, child and family psychiatrist, who initiated what is known as the Christian Wholeness Framework. He's the author of a number of books. Two of those will draw attention to The Cure for Life. One is called, uh, is all about God-centred transformation. The second book in the series is about God-centred relationships and it is always a privilege to welcome back to the studio Dr. John Warlow. John, welcome back. Lovely to be with you. Thanks for the privilege. Well, John, let's talk uh, hypocrisy because I imagine there's some contrast here. If we were sort of setting a stage right from the beginning, uh, you've got this idea of hypocrisy, a double standard, a two-facedness, uh, you know, saying one thing and doing another. And, uh, and, and I would say that probably every Christian is going to say, well, that's me somewhere along the way. The other side of that might be this idea of being an authentic person, an authentic Christian. Uh, give us your thoughts on uh, on hypocrisy as we get a conversation like this underway. Where, where do you, well, let me ask you, where do you hope this conversation might go? Thanks, Neil.
0: I really hope that for all of us listening today that it be an opportunity to be able to face the reality of ourselves and to be able to see where maybe we are not actually sta- um, being where we should be in Christ and then what to do with that. I love the scriptures you've just pointed out and it's that whole thing of maybe looking inwards and seeing what's deeper than what's on the outside. Maybe some of us today might might, might feel that we've actually got a whole timber yard inside our eyes, not just a log. (laughs) Um, What do we do with that? And I'm just really grateful that we can actually talk about this, wanting people today to be encouraged we can become more authentic in
1: Christ. Uh, You know, it's interesting that uh, even having this conversation, and uh, thank you for your humility in saying, Neil, why don't we talk about hypocrisy? This came from a suggestion that you made uh, that this would be a great topic to talk about because sometimes we feel like, that's a conversation we want to avoid because in some sense we're all guilty. Uh, so uh, so when we talk hypocrisy, it is one of those criticisms that people make of Christians. They make that of the church, and sometimes it's absolutely true. Now, this is, I guess, where we're being humble in all of this today or our attempt to be humble because even talking about it, Uh, shows up this idea that, uh, you know, sometimes that criticism is absolutely spot on. I think so, Neil. And I think that we
0: have the tendency when things touch the heart, as it were, to become defensive. And one way of being defensive is pointing the finger at the other person and not looking at the three coming back. And today's going to be an opportunity where we don't have to join that defensiveness and say, well, what about you? but can actually say, yeah, what about me? And actually
1: go deeper than that, and we'll see, hey, well, what about Jesus? as well. Uh, that's right, because there's uh, there's three dimensions in all of this. Uh, there's how bad we might be, what standard might be the best one, and then where Jesus sits in all of that. And uh, I suspect that our conversation as it unfolds will come to those sorts of conclusions. Look, people say as an insult, uh, using that word hypocrisy, well, if Christianity is really supposed to change people, then why do some who profess to believe in Jesus set such bad examples? And we might assume here, John, that there is a process that the believer goes through from a moment when they first give their lives to Christ, humbly before God, a repentant heart that turns towards Christ. But then there's a lifelong of living out uh, that what we sometimes call sanctification and on the way we are truly works in progress. What are your thoughts for the fact that, you know, Christians say uh, one thing and and yet we can point to lots of examples that, uh, that we're falling short of the mark?
0: I think, firstly, that hypocrisy is is a massive turn off of the community uh, talking about the church. They just get turned off by hypocrisy. And obviously, the biggest hypocrisy at the moment has been the whole thing of the sexual abuse within the church and so on. But I think also it can really turn us off our own faith when we actually quietly look at ourselves and say, hey, how hypocritical am I? And for... Me, I think it's just really helpful that we can know that there is a place where we can keep on coming back to where I come back to when I see the hypocrisy in my life and keep on coming back to that place so that I can be on that journey of sanctification. Even though there was that critical time when I got born again, just like in my normal life I got born once. Uh, don't exactly remember it. I was a little bit young to remember when I was born. But um, then it's to continue those steps into life, those breaths uh, after having taken that first breath, that first step into life, the crisis of salvation then we can actually do this journey and we can do it better. And I guess my prayer for this hour is that people can actually experience change, even as a result of this hour, of our all being together.
1: Let's stay with your illustration here for a moment. Uh, From the moment a child is born and then the child is nursed in the arms of their parents eventually a child around about that age one it all depends on a child some are a little bit quicker and some are a little bit slower but but then the child begins to crawl and then learning to walk and a child falls over so many times and then as the child begins to grow there are so many grazed knees and bruises and all sorts of things that we deal with this is a significant illustration of how we actually grow as christian believers i think so it's a wonderful parallel and talking about
0: grazed knees you should see my knees i think i just about (laughs) walk on my knees i'm there at the foot of the cross most of the time, I keep on coming back to there on my knees to the presence of Jesus where I can receive that unfailing love. I can exchange my guilt for his forgiveness and then get up in his freedom, moving along on that journey towards becoming
1: a disciple of Jesus. Of course, it's one thing to be on your knees and come coming back uh, often and regularly to the foot of the cross recognizing your own short fallings and uh, then having that one eye on Jesus uh, the author and finisher of our faith who is the picture of perfection and this constant reminder that we do fall short Uh, this is something that's so important and I guess reinforced when we come around a communion table Lord's Supper uh, people call that different things but we're reminded of our own short fallings when we're a part of the body of Christ and doing those things Jesus said to do. I think so in that communion, the
0: Eucharist and so on is just such a wonderful time for us over the week or over the month, how often we have it, to remind ourselves exactly where we are and to be real about that. I think some denominations take repentance a lot more seriously than others. I'm not an Anglican person myself, but I think uh, there's that lovely phrase in the liturgy, I do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in my own righteousness, but in yours. And um I think that uh, it's not just on a weekly or a monthly basis. For me, it's a daily basis. It's a moment-by-moment basis of nearly having that communion, of coming there back to who I am in God, of receiving his unfailing love for my shame.
1: Uh, you're leading me into all sorts of thoughts here, and listeners might like to contribute uh, you know the conversation will be open to a direction that you might take us as a listener. You might have a question or a comment. Uh, you'll be welcome to call us. In fact, we 've got our talk back line open now on one eight hundred three sixteen, three sixteen. But when we appreciate John that a hypocrite is someone who not only does not practice what one preaches, but a person who does the opposite of what one preaches, we're often much more forgiving to those who are ordinary congregation members than we are of the leaders. We expect higher of our leaders. And as you say, one of the biggest challenges that we have now has been with the uh, institutional abuse uh, that's happened. And uh, some of us look to that and say, when will that be over? Because we need to see healing and uh, restitution and growing out of those things. But it's when we become leaders, the pressure really comes on us in a more significant way. The pressure does come on us there
0: as, as leaders, and I think in that situation, there is the need on the one hand to be humble and honest as well. I sometimes find it hard when people are preaching how good they are or whatever, or 20 years ago they had a problem with anger um, compared to someone who might be saying, I'm actually going through this journey myself, which is what I'm trying to say today. I'm on this journey of sanctification. I'm on this journey of repentance. I see myself having a whole log yard in my eyes. Um, but to be able to come back to Christ and to be authentic leaders, I think is essential.
1: John, let's take a call and, uh, let's hear from Peter in the Northern Territory in Darwin. Hello, Peter. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning, Dr. John and Neil. Um, uh, thank you
2: for. What are your thoughts you about uh, um,
1: hypocrisy today, Peter?
2: I, I, I just want to be um, encouraged by two verses, or send it out there. Um, if, if you're struggling with hypocrisy, uh, first be mindful of Philippians three twelve, and also encouraged by Second Peter uh, five six to uh, to eleven. They're great encouraging uh, verses, uh, knowing that your brothers throughout the world are also facing these trials, and Paul himself uh, did not think perfection was yet gained. Uh, but I also want to say to it's it's so essential to immerse yourself in God's Word. And if, if you probably have no desire to dive into God's Word, if you probably have no real desire to change or those certain sins are besetting you, but you have no desire, then check out the teaching by Ray Comfort, Living Waters, called True and False Conversion, an excellent um, an excellent uh, rain check on your faith. And that's that's uh, all I have to say. Uh,
1: that's great, Peter. Let's, uh, a thought or two here from uh, from John. Peter, thanks.
0: And that bit in Philippians 3, from what I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, is that I haven't got there, I haven't arrived, but I press on uh, to make it uh, my own. Is that the verse, Peter? <laughs>
2: quite right, yeah. That's Yes, quite right.
0: That, yeah, and for me, it's absolutely correct that we are on a journey, um, and that we do press on to to make what God has worked in us to actually work for us to work that out. And I think that's earlier on, if I remember, in Philippians. And I love that what you're saying is we're not alone. And I think the power of each one of us having at least one other follower of Jesus to be with, where we can actually be honest and real with them about what's going on for us, that we actually walk that journey, not alone, but with someone else. Um, and
1: you, you emphasize that. And that's just fantastic. Love it. Thanks, Peter. Peter, in Darwin in the Northern Territory, thank you so much for your contribution. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 If you'd like to join in our conversation today, we are talking hypocrisy. And you can also leave a note on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio, as Brad has left a comment who says legalistic Christianity can lead to hypocrisy. And we're not all guilty of hypocrisy, and we are uh, if we freely acknowledge that we don't have it all together in the first place. So uh, this level of humility, an important aspect. Uh, what are your thoughts for Brad, John?
0: Yeah, I think legalism there, Brad, g- really good point, is where we are trusting in what we do rather than what Christ has done. And that certainly pulls us uh, towards hypocrisy. And I know that in my own life at times, maybe if I miss a devotion or some other spiritual discipline, I can feel at times a bit guilty. What that does for me is two things. One, it drives me again to my knees just to bring my guilt to his forgiveness. And is that an excuse to continue not to grow? No, it's not. But also to then re-engage in spiritual disciplines, but not as an act of my works to for for, for me to become like uh, more born again, as it were i 'm born again already and but but I know that I need food to grow, and I need my spiritual disciplines, I need prayer, I need Bible study and things like that to grow, and yeah, for us to be aware of legalism, which actually is a self centered way of trying to improve ourselves as Christians.
1: Another comment from Maya on Facebook who says, I think it's easy for the world to view Christians as hypocritical. One example is love. Without the Holy Spirit, the world can only understand love in a human sense. Uh, look at the gay marriage debate. They say love is love. The world doesn't understand biblical and the agape form of love. Any thoughts for Maya? Thanks, Maya. Um,
0: yeah, for sure, there's that amazing Christian advantage we have of knowing exactly what the true depth and foundation of love is. And I think, yeah, the world can point at us. And when the world does point at me, frankly, I don't try not to point back at them. I point the remaining three, remaining three fingers back at myself and use that as a challenge. God, how can I love more? Uh, fill me with your presence, with your spirit. Then indeed, the fruit of the Spirit can actually come out of my whole being as a godly love. Great comment. Thank you.
1: Okay. Let's take a very quick call here and uh, let's hear from Patrick. Oh, let's, like, let's go first of all to Bill in Ararat in Victoria. Hello, Bill. Very quick. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, thanks, brother. Well, my thoughts are that when people become Christians, they're bathed in Christ. Like Jesus said, suffer them to come unto me. There's one verse Be interpret that. Uh, when we become Christians, we become babes in Christ, we need the desire to desire the sincere milk of the word. But what amazes me is so many Christians get offended and then even leave the church, and yet Jesus said, great peace are they that love my Lord, and nothing shall offend them. Now, I know that I've interpreted that years in the rest of Scripture, and if I get offended, I hate God's word. Well, I don't hate God's word. I love God's word. I love God. And therefore, we shouldn't get offended. And I've heard plenty of sermons on offense, and yet that precious Scripture, like John three sixteen, never even get mentioned. I can't believe it, you know. It's in uh, Psalm 119, 165, actually.
1: Yep. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for that insight. We're about to go to news and we're going to continue our conversation after Vision National News. Uh, before we develop our conversation any further, John, let's take another call, shall we? Let's hear from Patrick in Victoria. Hello, Patrick. Welcome along.
2: Oh, thank you,
1: Neil. Patrick, what are your thoughts for our conversation today?
2: Well, I don't know. With hypocrisy... Um like it's, it's one of the worst things you can have. Um, but I, I don't know who hypocrites are trying to fool, because God knows our heart. He knows our deepest part. And you know saying one thing and then living another life, they're only fooling themselves and they're missing out on um, the great gift that God's given. because in Peter, he says he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Yeah, so
1: Some powerful well, thoughts there, Patrick. Let's get a thought or two from John. Thanks, Patrick. Indeed,
0: hypocrisy is just one about one of the worst things God does know. And that actually draws me as a Christian psychiatrist more to him uh, and brings me more to my knees. When I have a difference between what I say and what I do, we can use accusations of hypocrisy against us and we can actually react in a defensive way saying, well, what about you? And again, for me personally, but also what I recommend for others is that we then say, God, search me and know my heart, know the depths of me, not even more than the outside superficial things. Search me, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way of me. What I'm interested is not then putting the other person down who calls me a hypocrite, but for me to come closer to Christ so that I might follow him more great." Question, Patrick.
1: Thank you so much to Patrick from Victoria. Our talk back line open 1-800-316-316. John, let's focus on this personal responsibility that we have here. Uh, You used that wonderful illustration a little earlier, you know, the finger we point at others as three pointed back at ourselves sometimes we've got an imbalance here and uh, we're thinking that the finger we're pointing is much more uh, much more significant or powerful than the three pointed back but uh, these three pointed back are pretty significant too aren't they i think they really
0: are and when someone is accusing us of hypocrisy they generally are not wanting to actually change they are actually defended against Probably their own hypocrisy or they might say, well, at least I'm not saying I'm living up to a standard and I'm what I say and what I do is consistent with each other. For me to then join their game and become defensive and to point to smash the ball or the, point my finger at them, then I'm just joining in with them. And for me, being a Christian, as a Christian psychiatrist, is just wonderful that we have a Savior who we can come back to. It's the very reason why I came to him in the first place. I am a sinner. And I can come to him just as I am. And I can keep on coming back to him. I can keep on walking that my first step time and time again of just coming back to the one who forgives, frees me and fills me. What? So that I might continue in sin, says Paul in Romans 6. No, so that I can actually become more of a disciple of Christ. But when I fall again, continually come back to his unfailing love. His forgiveness. Thirdly, His freedom. And fourthly, His fullness. And that's a little synopsis of Romans
1: 3 to 8. You know, as you're talking and uh, such wisdom in this, a very powerful thing is that we have our own private world and then we have a public world. And I can hear your heartbeat in all of this, John. Uh, It's that... We need to be humble enough to recognize that our private world is a responsibility that we first have before God, before we even worry about what the public world is thinking of us, because this idea of humility before God, he is Lord and Savior. The perfect image of God is Jesus, who has shown us how to be the perfect individual. But this private world, this is one we're sometimes guilty of neglecting. Neil... You're speaking
0: the words of Jesus here who said, hey look, don't wash the outside of the cup. Look at the inside of the cup. Imagine guys, everyone who's listening just getting a dirty cup and drinking out of that. No, 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 no. Let's look at the inside of us. He says, you make sure that the outside of the tombs looks good but in fact you were the one who killed these, these prophets and so on. And the whole thing of don't actually cast out someone else's speck. Look at Look inside at your own log. Jesus was someone who actually went centripetally, which means going inwards to us. And one of the things to deal with hypocrisy is actually to look at those three fingers pointing at yourself right now. If you want to put your pointing finger out, just look at those three coming back to you. That's exactly right. And a way of actually addressing hypocrisy on our, in our own lives, in our own journey of discipleship
1: and of sanctification. I guess thinking of ourselves soberly uh, gives us this idea of uh, perhaps not putting on the false face uh, recognising that somehow rather this humility of heart is something that happens first in our private devotion before God and then we hope that overflows into this public uh, image that we will have and when people point to at us And say, you hypocrite, we perhaps will find our strength, John, in the idea that, well, I've spent time before God and uh, I've acknowledged my own hypocrisy, my own shortfallings. And uh, this powerful ability then to be able to have a public face, which is acknowledging his grace uh, what are your thoughts for, uh, you know, how the public face looks when you've had the private encounter? So spot on there, Neil, that as we deal with our inside, then our
0: outside will become aligned and congruent and consistent with who we are. The issue of the false face in as a Christian psychiatrist, one of the defense mechanisms we use, and Christians We are brilliant at that. We are professionals at using a false face, driving to church, having an argument in the car, and then putting on our smiley masquerade as we walk into the church and being false. I think authentic Christianity, where ideally with one other follower of Jesus, firstly, secondly, in a small group in your church, if you can actually be real about yourself and actually be safe enough to talk about what's on the inside of you, then that inside is going to shine out so much brighter. And my prayer is that twos and threes, that small groups, become authentic Christians. That's when people can see us and say, not only are we people who love each other, John 17, but also we are authentic and real
1: people, followers of Jesus. I imagine that actually having a standard uh, that we fall short of, and of course we would say our standard is Jesus, and as according to the Scriptures we're going to very quickly acknowledge that we all fall short of that standard. So without that standards, uh, you have no falling short because there's no standard at all. So those who are pointing at us with their accusation of hypocrisy, John, Uh, Is there a sense here in which when people do point at us with a criticism saying, you hypocrite, they're actually acknowledging that there is a standard that we ought to be living by, and perhaps they are even admitting in their own hearts that there is a standard that they too fall short of? That might well be the case, Neil, and indeed we do have
0: a standard which we own, which is, and in 1 John Boy, the standard is pretty high. If anyone says he, uh, if anyone continues to sin, he's not even born again. I always keep on going back to 1 John chapter 1, which is hey, if we say we have not sinned, uh, then we make him out to be a liar. When someone accuses me of uh, hypocrisy, then what I'm doing is two things. One is, yeah, maybe you've got a point, even if it's 2% of what you're saying. Yeah, maybe there's uh, there's some truth in that. But then when I look at them, for them to say that to me, I'm trying to understand what's going on for them underneath their defense of calling me a hypocrite, of what's actually happening with them. And maybe there is that desire for for them to be authentic as well. And I guess what a wonderful opportunity then we have to say, uh, to talk about Jesus, who is not just the standard of perfection, but also is the way whereby we can come with our hypocrisy and be on a journey to become more like him.
1: Let's focus on this word authentic for a moment because those who might make an accusation and let's not even say accusation but the observation that Christians are in fact hypocrites, they have in some sense separated themselves from the standards so that they can point the finger at us and in separating yourself from the standard you say well therefore I am authentic but that's not true authenticity either. Uh, really we can only be authentic if we have a standard by which we can measure ourselves.
0: God made us to have that standard, to be with him, to be like him, and by them disowning that standard actually places them in a position which is, if if I could say, authentically a sinner. However, in doing that, they're actually not saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They're actually doing that in a self-centered and sinful way of, um, of saying that actually God's standard doesn't apply to me. I am the boss of my own life, not God. Whereas, in fact, the standard God has for us is that we be conformed to the image of Christ, that we have him as Lord of our lives. And in doing so, that we uh, move in that direction of being disciples of Jesus.
1: I wonder whether this question of lordship is important here, because as we were saying before, uh, you know, we might be able to reflect back on a time in the past when we were born again. Uh, There was an encounter with God. We said publicly, I repent from my sins and then I'm faced with this journey of uh, getting on my feet and becoming a bit more mature and, and uh, then trying to get things right. And in all of that and, and falling down and getting back up again, someone's going to say, you hypocrite. You're not actually, you know, doing all those things that Jesus said. Uh, let's talk about this idea of, uh, the lordship of Christ because uh, that's an important element of continually s- recognizing that there is a different standard uh, that we need to aspire to. What are your thoughts for for that,
0: Neil? The thoughts for that, me personally, and as a professional um, Christian psychiatrist, is to be able to acknowledge myself and to help other people to face the realities of their inauthentic living. That, in fact, where they what they are practicing might actually not be really different from if they were actually not a Christian. That in fact, being born again for them isn't making much difference and to be able to help them to be real about that because it's only, as it says in 1 John, that we confess that we have sins. Can we actually receive that forgiveness and be born again and move further on that journey towards him? So uh, this sort of... Conversation leads me more and more to my knees, more and more to the one who forgives and frees me to take another step in that journey of becoming more like him.
1: John, you've been a psychiatrist for a long, long time, and the sorts of things that you have written about deeply about this ministry to the Christian individual – People go to psychiatrists for all sorts of reasons. Uh, I imagine that the way you approach things for a Christian might be different to the way you approach things when that's a non-Christian person. Can you give us any insights here into the sorts of challenges that are faced when someone who's not a Christian comes to a psychiatrist and says, all these things are falling apart in my life? How am I supposed to think about these things and get my life together as different to the way that the believer can respond to those challenges? Thank you. So
0: as a Christian psychiatrist, there's something similar I do with a Christian and a non-Christian, and there's something different I do with a, between a Christian and a non-Christian with both I try and provide a safe enough place where, in my counseling as a psychiatrist, in my psychotherapy as a psychiatrist, I enable them to have a place for them where they can be real and honest about what's going on for them. And that they can actually, in fact, do what Jesus would say, which is, hey, look at the three fingers, look inside. When I'm meeting someone as a specialist psychiatrist and they're talking about other people, I really invite them, hey, what's going on for you to even say that? And I do that for Christians as well, firstly. Secondly, where I see, where I practice differently is that a Christian has a second dimension of change, not just trying to go from struggling to succeeding, but to be going from self centered to God centered. And I bring that in uh, as well and allow them to talk about that and to try and match up, in fact, what they might be experiencing out of their own personal theologies, which might have been distorted from their experiences, and actually have something which is more aligned with the Word of God, of Jesus, who is actually going to be able to face with them what they're actually struggling with, so that they don't need to do that journey alone.
1: It sounds like you're speaking those words of wisdom that apply both to the non-Christian and to the Christian of how you might get to a point where you recognise that being self-centred is a futile, useless thing anyway and will only lead you to... Uh, being very pessimistic about your life and uh, ultimately those things you're trying to fill the voids with that will mean nothing to you. Uh, And the same sorts of things that you might say to the Christian, the self-centeredness that we carried into our own Christian walk, these are the things we do away with. So uh, on both sides, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that Jesus is the answer for the emptiness that you suffer because he's the one that, that gives us this capacity to know what that standard is, to know what that beautiful model is uh, to, to true authenticity. It's so much easier, Neil, in my opinion, for a
0: Christian who actually is aware of what Christ has done in their life to change and to deal with their toxic self-centeredness and to become more like Jesus. In fact, I actually apply that to myself. There's a, an alignment between my own personal life as John Warlow, and my professional life as a Christian psychiatrist. And a lot of this is written in my Cure for Life, God-Centered Transformation, book number one. Yeah.
1: John, only a few minutes remaining in our conversation. This idea of confessing my sins to God, and I can find a list of sins. Uh, you can find a list of sins uh, when you look at the, uh, the post of Israel Folau. You can find a list of sins. Uh, not hard to find those. But you mentioned something very important, this toxic self-centeredness. Uh, I think somehow or other that list of sins uh, is going to be addressed by first looking at this toxic self-centeredness. Uh, is this a key an area of, uh, of the way we ought to be thinking about getting things right, realigning ourselves with Christ?
0: I think so for myself personally, I know that when I'm being self-centered, then what I'm feeling, if it's my anxiety or my despair or whatever, becomes so much more toxic and I revolve my life then around my sense of aloneness or shame or guilt and so on. And I see that as a Christian psychiatrist in practice as well. Oh, that that patient, if they could only be free of that self-centeredness and actually be real. And yes, I I am a hypocrite. I don't match up to the standards of Jesus and come maybe for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time, even in that day, just back to Jesus. What release and what freedom we can experience to move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness
1: in a transformed way. You mentioned that when you're counseling people, and uh, you're a psychiatrist... Uh, But when you are giving to people those practical steps, the psychotherapy part of what you might do, and it comes to what should be the expression of the behavior of this transformed heart, transformed mind, what do you say to people about how you can actually practically do something that demonstrates that you're addressing those issues of
0: that self-centeredness? It's so good there, Neil, and that's what happens in psychiatry, because the inside has to come out. Romans twelve one and two, because of what's happened on our inside, therefore, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God, because of what has happened on the inside. Then it says, let your minds be changed, And let your behavior be changed. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And the Bible is so holistic. It is about inside-out change involving every part of us. And just like in my Christian practice and myself as well, um, personally and as a professional psychiatrist, we're looking at holistic, authentic, integrated,
1: aligned, God-centered change. Uh, we've got this vertical relationship with God, and you've been talking to us about that intimacy of uh, this relationship we have, this uh, ministry that happens just as we're in private and bringing these things to God. Uh, there's also this horizontal uh, way that we relate to one another. Is there something in practice here? Can you do something in practice that actually affects the uh, the relationships to the side, to the horizontal, to uh, to affect also that relationship vertically. How do you describe uh, something like, say, if we're getting over this toxic self-centeredness, uh, doing something that is self-sacrificial towards another? What does that do? Is that a
0: powerful thing? It's so powerful. In fact, again, with the language in The Cure for Life, one of the shapes is the triangle. We can't do things on our own. And as we are with someone, either serving them or being actually
1: um, helped by them,
0: that's where real change can come with God, someone else, and ourselves.
1: Well, John, just been great getting your insights today. And I love these conversations. And I know that there'll be listeners who have perhaps even now more questions Uh, Although I think that we've touched on some beautiful things and for those who've been only half listening and wanting to take this a little further, uh, getting a hold of your books, God-centered transformation and God-centered relationships, uh, both under the one title, The Cure for Life. Uh, These are available through Christian bookstores and also on your website, uh, which you might just need to remind me of uh, I need to be reminded of
0: it, Neil. I think it's <laughs> www. John Wallow or Dr. John Wallow or something, but Kurong Amazon as well. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported.